All right, all right. Welcome to the Common Good Podcast. Doug Paget here with uh, David Lamont. And boy, it's going to be a great day. Uh, not only because it is July 26th, which is probably a really important day to somebody. It's probably somebody's anniversary, somebody's birthday, uh, some ominous day. But happy July 26th to whomever that means something. Uh, and to me, it's an exciting day because David is just a great friend and a great voice. And so excited to have, have you here, David, and uh, talk about your book. Talk about this this music video. Talk about you and your ideas. So uh, thanks thanks for being with us. And David, we often start with the weather. So I believe you're in North Carolina. So uh, you know, tell us tell us what what you're looking at out the window in North Carolina. Yeah, I got to North Carolina right, right around midnight, coming down from Virginia uh, last night, and it is going to be a warm and sunny and lovely day here. Um, of course, they're double edges to the warm these days, but um, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm grateful to be able to have the windows open in my house with no AC in the mountains of North Carolina. So good grief, yeah. So you're up in the mountains. You're not in the deep heat of uh, of the rest That's of North great. Carolina. Yeah, right. That's on. great. Hey, uh, you you said before we got started that you've only been home a few days in your house a few days uh, since since June. What what have you been what have you been up to? Yeah, I've been all over. I was in Ireland co-leading a retreat with my friends Gareth and Brian, uh, Gareth Higgins and Brian Ammons, whom you know, and mm -hmm. um, another friend, Michael Bush. And we did a 10-day retreat there around wow. the power of story, and uh, which is a common theme for us. And um, looking at the, the troubles in Northern Ireland and the peace process, which is ongoing, and talking with folks about that and looking at how telling a better story can really change everything on both sides of our skin. Mm. Mm. And that was really beautiful. And then I was home very briefly. And then I went to Guatemala to lead a 10 day retreat there for my own nonprofit um, with my um, good friend and, and director of the nonprofit, Sarah Robinson, Bryan. And we had a lovely group of folks with us there and had a, had a beautiful time um, visiting some of my friends in Guatemala and learning about their work that we support. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, then I just got back from um, a conference in at Massanetta Springs in Virginia. I taught a couple of workshops and did a concert. And yeah, it's been a dense summer. I did a <laughs> little string of shows right at the beginning of I that in it. Maryland and Delaware. And I uh, took my kid with me as my roadie, which was completely awesome. Oh, how, how so, old is that one? Um, coming up on 15. Looking oh, at man. a looking what at a, treat. a learner's permit in the fall. So yeah. What a treat yeah. that is to be able to travel with uh, somebody. All right, so we're going to talk about this book, uh, uh, You Are Changing the World. Somebody might think it's 2009 because we're talking about this book and they bought it in 2009 and they're excited about it. <laughs> but you've reworked it, rewritten parts of it, uh, and re-released it. So it's going to be exciting. But tell me about Guatemala. I've spent a lot of time in Guatemala in my life and, and they have a very yeah. soft spot uh, for Guatemala. What, what takes you there? Yeah, where, I've been where, there where 30 some times, actually. Um, I, huh. I love it. I'm there very often. And what happened basically is my wife and I went there on our honeymoon. We, are, we, we, learned, we earned our lifetime nerd credentials by going to school on our honeymoon. We decided that the thing that sounded the most fun to us was to go to Guatemala and go to language immersion school for a couple of weeks. Um, right and that was 2004. We went to Antigua and we mm -hmm. stayed there for a couple of weeks and we took weekends at the at Lago Atitlan and at Tikal, the Mayan ruins. And um, it was an extraordinary time. And we made some friends. We were not looking for a project, but we made some friends and we stayed in touch. Yeah. And there are people doing amazing work in Guatemala. And 
often they have a lot of skill set that I don't have. They have knowledge of their own communities that I'll never have, but they don't have the financial resources. Mm-hmm. And Deanna and I were looking at each other thinking, well, you know, you're a public school teacher. I'm a folk singer. We don't have a whole lot of financial resources to contribute. But it occurred to us that in our tool bags, in our asset inventory, were the fact that I get to talk to lots of people and tell them long rambling stories. And Uh Deanna at the time was an ESL teacher and was connected Mm. to uh, Latinx issues. And so, um, you know, here we were with these particular intersections of of gifts. So we we ended up, to make a long story boring, um, starting a nonprofit that's called Peg Partners. And uh, we've been working down there for almost 20 years. It's been 19 years now, supporting friends who are doing really good work and, and staying really yeah. engaged, but trying to avoid a colonial kind of, um, hey, I've got the right ideas approach because, you know, these folks know their communities know what's and what's up, needed yeah. so much yeah. more than I ever will. What, so, what part of the country were you in on this trip? In this trip, we were in um, uh, a little village called Sanchach outside of Santiago Atitlan, where there's a primary school that I adore. And um, my friend Nino Tukun started the school before I got involved. And but he asked me for some help. And we were able to gather up some money to to do some good things. And it's just a beautiful school. They're bilingual in the local language of Tsutuhil and Spanish. And uh, they're they're just, it's such a compassionate space. They're really nurturing. And what part of what's exciting about that is that most of the teachers right now are male and they are modeling a way to be male in uh, a culture, which like our own has some issues with machismo, right? Yeah. Yep. So they're, they're modeling, mo- modeling a way to be compassionate and tender and nurturing. That is just really beautiful to me. So hmm. Nino named so that good. school after me, which is both lovely and awkward. I didn't know that it was <laughs> happening until it had already happened. But um, is that right? So that's in Sanchach. And then there's a music program in El Tejar outside of Chimaltenango, which is just an extraordinary music program. Uh, wow. That's been going now for uh, since 2007, I want to say. Uh-huh. And, and then there's a program that's um, the third kind of flagship program for us is... Uh, a, a mentoring and scholarship program for teens, for the poorest teens in El Tejar to get on through high school and get a little extra tutoring and really the gift of each other. It's kind of like a secular youth group and it's a, it's a really beautiful project as well. So lots of good, exciting things going on there. Well, that's just, just great. Uh, we should, uh, we should connect on that. I've spent a lot of time on that lake, uh, Lake Atitlan over in San Juan and San Pedro yeah. and San Pablo yeah. and, We've been, we've been there for 25 years or so. So it's another thing, David, that every time I chat with you, I'm like, I love you all the more. (laughs) Just, you know, like, like David Lamont crush just grows and grows. Uh, (laughs) All right. So uh, a lot of things you said, uh, you said you're a folk singer. That's how I first remember watching your skills in a group. Um, You with a guitar in your hand. We'll, we'll talk a bit about that, but let's, let's talk about this book. Um, You've, yeah. uh, I was uh, commented earlier that you had written this book in 2009 and you start the book with a description about why you, uh, you, you wrote a separate introduction in 2020, which I thought was really, really kind of brilliant, um, from, from 2009, which, you know, a lot of people won't do, they won't take a book that they've worked on in the past and say, Hey, I want to keep moving on those topics. And I want to, I want to, um, 
I want to circle around to those and see how they how they reflect uh, on things now. So we'll talk about the content of the book, but can you say a bit about why it felt important to you to rework? Uh, you know, the book is called um, You Are Changing the World, Whether You Like It or Not, which is one of the great titles, probably the best subtitle I've, I've ever heard. Um, but why did you want to rework this one? So, um, yeah, I started writing in 2009, came out in 2014. And you may have noticed that a lot of things have happened since 2014 mm -hmm. in our nation, right? Um, goodness gracious, what a ride it has been. And the truth is, I'm still not hearing enough of the message that this book is trying to convey in our popular mm -hmm. culture. Um, and it still feels like a really extremely important conversation to me. But the... Um, the, the basic thing that happened was that I it was I was selling out of them and I needed to either reprint it or yeah. rework it. Yeah. And um, I chatted with a friend of mine, Deborah Arca, who used to run Patheos. I'm sure you know Deb. Um, and she was working at Chalice Press at the time. And I asked her, Deb, can I just hire you for an hour of consulting? She said, you don't have to hire me, but yes, let's chat for an hour. And we did. And I was just asking her advice. I wasn't trying to pitch this to anybody. But um, after that call, Deb wrote me a note and said, you know, needless to say, after we had talked about the book, we kind of were both excited about it. She said, needless to say, we'd love to have this book in our house. And I thought, oh, great, I'll send you a copy. And then it occurred to me that she actually meant our publishing house. <laughs> publishing and, uh, house, not, not her home. So yeah. um, I was amazed by that because I had self-published the book. It did quite well for an independent book, but it was self-published. And it had not occurred to me that anybody would want to mm. put this book out there on a on a real legit mm. publisher like Chalice. And so I had never, never occurred to me to pitch it to anybody. But when Deb said that, I thought, wow, you know, actually, it probably makes sense to write a new edition of this book and put it out there because it's a conversation we really still need to be having. And and a lot has happened and I need to update some things in mm -hmm. the book. And so uh, that's what we did. And Chalice put it out yesterday. Officially, it came out. So um, really excited Congratulations. to have it out there in the world. And as people know, if they listen to this podcast and live stream, uh, we remind them that books come out on Tuesday. Tuesday is book release day in the publishing yeah. world. Like Fridays are for movies and I don't know, some mm -hmm. other days are for other things, but books are, books are Tuesday. So happy Tuesday to you. Uh, one of the things I like about the fact that you shared the story that you had written this book it started in 2009 came out in 2014 now you're going to change it and re-release it is that says something about your view of change mm -hmm. because David, there's a lot of people who think that change uh theory is really just problem solution stuff mm -hmm. like there's a problem let's find a solution and switch from whatever we're doing that's a problem to doing the better thing and fix the problem I have a right. friend that says we don't we don't typically uh, in important issues we don't have problems we have a predicament and predicaments mm -hmm. require multiple responses because they're a grand dilemma and yeah. I really love the difference between a problem and a predicament because a predicament yeah. means you can't do just one thing and sometimes the one thing you do might not even be the only thing you have to do or the best thing or isn't going to solve it so then what do you do and it's just a really for me a very helpful way of thinking about it. And it seems that you wanting to say, look, change theory is something that you're going to keep, uh, you're going to keep revisiting. I mean, it's a, it's a posture of life. It's not a, 
Uh, it's not a to-do list. Is that is that similar right. to how, how you're thinking about it? Absolutely. And I think the, the meaningful and lasting change is often pretty incremental, right? Um, and I know that there's a problematic nature to incrementalism in, in yeah. for some folks in terms of um, you know, settling for something less than justice is not what that means to me. What it means to me is that things do change through the accumulation of lots of small efforts. Um, and that's not the story we're getting from our yes. culture, right? You talk about the difference between problem, fixing a problem and being done with it, moving on to the next problem and an incremental change. The the title of the book is you are changing the world whether you like it or not and one of the things i love to tell people and remind myself is that we use the phrases change the world and fix the world and save the world like they are interchangeable and they are completely different ideas right people will roll their eyes and chuckle a little bit when you talk about changing the world as though that's an incredibly naive thing to say that's because they're hearing fix the world, mm. right? If you think you can fix the world, that is worthy of a chuckle and an eye roll. It's naive <laughs> and it's not going to happen. If you think you can save the world, I'd like to suggest maybe that's not your gig, right? But if you think you can change the world, you're just paying attention. In fact, it's naive to think you can be in the world and not wow. change it wow. because everything you do changes the world, whether you like it or not. So the question is how much intentionality we're going to bring mm -hmm. to the changes that we're making. And if you are the kind of person, which I know you are personally, and there are lots and lots and lots of us in the world, if you are the kind of person who wants to make a positive change in the world around you, then it makes sense to think about how that actually happens and how it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I think we have a cultural narrative about how large scale change happens yeah, that yeah. is both ubiquitous and wrong. <laughs> and, yeah. and we need to talk about that. We need to switch lenses, you know, to use the, the seminary word. We need a new hermeneutic. We need a new frame um, to think about how change actually happens because it's, it's not about the heroes and it's not about dramatic action. It's about showing up over and over again in community, not by ourselves, but with other people. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to talk about here. Yeah. And it, and it, for some people it can be very relieving and for other people it just mounts the pressure all the more right they're right. like every choice i make every right social media you know world that i try to use every product that i buy every amount of time i spend doing one thing and not another yeah. these are all butterfly effect impact and man when you get into a change the world kind of narrative it can be super overwhelming for people. Have, have you experienced exactly. that as you, as you raise these issues in, in the context that you do? Because I, I know the, the kind of work you do where uh, you, you're often invited into a, a, a circumstance for some of your skills you may have musically or speaking or organizing, and then you'll start bringing up some other things too, right? Like that's mm -hmm. how influencers do their thing, right? right? So you start bringing this up to people who didn't ask you to come talk to them about change. Or, or change theory, changing the world. Do you hear people, not just uh, with sort of, uh, you know, justice fatigue, but people who really feel like, dude, when, when someone starts talking about impact that we have and all the small things we do, it mm -hmm. is absolutely overwhelming for me to think yeah. I'm going to put intention behind every small action that I endeavor in. Right. Do, uh, do, do, you, do you experience that where people get tired or frustrated or yeah know. yeah 
I do sometimes. So basically the good news is you're not powerless and the bad news is you're not powerless, right? So we do have work to do and that can feel like a burden. But my message is basically one of comfort, right? That, that you don't, one of the things I, I like to remind people is that martyrdom is overrated, hmm. right? There is something to be said. I love the phrase personal sustainability. We think about environmental sustainability. We think about economic sustainability, but we also need to be thinking about personal sustainability. And part of that means thinking about what you're called to right now, which, hmm. which thing is pulling on your heart right now. And maybe giving your attention to that one thing for a while. Um, I, and that doesn't mean, I actually really don't believe that people have a calling. I don't believe people have a calling. I believe that people nice. have thousands of callings, right? Ah. And that's really important. Nice. It's, it's not just a semantic distinction because mm -hmm. it changes the question from what do I do with my life, which is an overwhelming <laughs> question to what do I do next? which is a much more productive mm. and manageable question. When, when, when did that dawn on you? When, when did you hit a point where you're like, hey, this calling business uh, doesn't work, but thousands of callings and, and you know, responses to the next as opposed to the thing. Do you remember when that started to settle in for you and when you... When um, I remember generally in my 20s. I was thinking just the other day, actually, about one of the first times I spoke to a large audience in my 20s. And in those days... I, my message really was a, was a, you can do anything kind of message, right? Cause I was young <laughs> yeah, right. and, and I wasn't, um, as aware as I am now, I'm sure there's more awareness to come, but I wasn't as aware then of the significance of my particular social location and the fact that I had been dealt all of the traditional privilege cards, right? That mean that I don't have some obstacles that some of my friends do have, yeah. um, so I do believe that it's true. There, there was some truth in, in what I was saying. Um, not that you can do anything. None of us can do anything. Um, but I do believe that most of us can do so much more than we think we can. And we're often more limited by our own conception of our mm -hmm. limitations than by any real limitations that exist. However, that's not to say that there aren't real limitations and different limitations for different people. And in those days, I wasn't thinking enough about community. I was thinking about solo stories, yeah. right? And I was encouraging people to reach for their dreams and such. And that's, that's good if you're doing it in an honest way. But, um, but I had more to learn about community, about impact. And, and frankly, I think there was a self-congratulatory kind of implicit story in there that, Hey, look, I'm a folk singer. I'm living my dream and you can too. And, <laughs> and that's actually not necessarily all that helpful. Right. Yeah. So, so that was an early message, um, that, that needed to be revised. Right. And, um, and in, in kind of living toward that dream of playing music for a living. And I, I mean, I have to admit that I'm, I'm a guy who's a lot of my dreams have come true. And I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, in trying to live toward that, I realized that that's not all there is. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, you need a new dream when when your dream comes true, and you go, "Oh, okay, this is good." And there's more, right? And so, um, I've I've always had these two passions in my life: 
starting really in my high school years and in college around piecework and around uh, music. Mm. And the two are not unrelated, but they really are mostly different parts of my life. Mm. So I couldn't, I couldn't avoid that. There's this great line in a Bruce Springsteen song where it says, uh, is, is a dream a lie if it don't come true or is it something worse? And there's another version of that, which I think you're getting at is a dream a lie if it does come true. Right. And then you're like, now what? I mean, that is a real, that is a real dilemma for, for people and change theory impacts this a lot when people realize, okay, that's all the change I can do. Or I, I made the, I had the impact I wanted to have. And now look at what's, what's going on like that. That's a real setup, as you've said, for, for frustration and for uh, change as a failure narrative. Someone said mm -hmm. to me once, uh, we we're talking about change because I used to do a lot of change theory in organizations and stuff. Mm -hmm. And kind of just based on the idea that, like yours, that change is happening. Like, so all, we just have to get ready for it. Like the world is made of change at the smallest, mm -hmm. you know, subatomic level. It's just all energy movement. So right. stability is a, is a fabulous fiction that we should all depend on. Mm -hmm. That's not mm -hmm. really how things how, how things work. So change is what's what's normative, and you know, using biology and chemistry and physics and all this to sort of reflect on the human experience. And this person said, "Well, I don't know about all that change stuff, but I do know that I'm called to love the world, and maybe I need to be thinking about loving the world as much as I'm thinking about changing the world." It was a mm -hmm. really sort of impactful thing, right? Yeah. Like, what is right. your relationship to whatever the, whatever we mean by the world? And then I was I was actually two thousand. 18, I was in a conversation uh, with a bunch of Trump supporters that this event was going on and they could clearly tell that I was not a Trump supporter. And so I was in a particular dialogue and this one person said, yeah, you probably love that Barack Obama who wants to bring, who wanted to bring change hmm. and said, you know, if you love America, you wouldn't want to change it. It was such an interesting little phrase. Wow. Right? And then she said, right. you know, you enter into a relationship with someone and the first thing you want to do is change them. Hmm. How about if you start by love? So I have these two kind of competing ideas, right? This one's mm -hmm. a deeply Christian Jesus-y idea that maybe we first need to make sure we're, we're loving, you know, mm -hmm. and not just about change. And then this other political argument that's like, hey, if, you know, if you really loved America, you wouldn't talk about changing America. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. I, don't, I don't know. It, it was it, the, the relationship of all this change and dreams and how we live and, and then this ultimate call to human flourishing, which I think comes through love. I, Sometimes that all gets mixed up for me. Does it get mixed up for you? Yeah. Do you figure out how to think about those things? Yeah, I mean, that that's a really lovely topic of conversation. We could talk about that for a really long time. Um, I think it's it's a really fascinating insight from your conversation partner there that, you know, being in a relationship with somebody and wanting to change them is a problematic way to go in. However, being in a relationship and wanting to nourish them so they can grow Mm -hmm. which involves change is a really wonderful posture to adopt in a relationship, right. I think. Um, so there is this, um, there is this narrative that says, you know, um, if, if you love the country, then you don't want to change it, love it or leave it, you yep, know, yep. go on that. and get out. Um, but I think when I have called my country to a higher plane, right? A higher way of being, that's a form of love, right? Yeah. And I want my wife to call me out when I'm getting all 
up in my ego. And, you know, when, when those things are happening, I want to be, or maybe to be called back in. Um, And that's what I want to do for my nation as well. Mm -hmm. I want, I want us to live toward our highest ideals. And if I'm not living toward my highest ideals, I very much want my partner to say, David, yeah. Is this what you want to be doing? Yeah. <laughs> right. And so um, there is something about speaking the truth in love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for that, sure. Um, that, that does involve change. So I think, I think you would find if you stayed in that conversation with that partner, uh, that conversation partner who made that point, if you ask them, is there anything you'd like to see change about the yeah. country? Yeah. They would definitely answer in the affirmative. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, there's always more growth and I, I want to be intentional about that. So, so yes. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and that's I, the I thing that's the hard, right? Is that, that change is also always a power dynamic, right? <clears throat> Someone comes in and says, Hey, we're going to change the, you're like, okay, so mm-hmm. you've got an idea about how things should be. You're right. going to now make an adjustment and the world's going to be more like the way you want it. And that's frankly really hard to get to in, I don't know, I was going to say, you know, in a, in a big country like ours, but then I'm like, but anywhere, you know, internal change is hard that way, right? Like we literally fight with ourselves about changes Mm -hmm. we want to make. So there's a lot that comes in. I mean, it's easy to throw all this stuff out, you know, be the change you want to see in the world, all this, all these kind of catchphrases, which your book does such a great job of not letting people sort of just use change like that, right? That, Mm -hmm. that what we ought to be up to is something, something more, more important. Than, yeah. than just power dynamics, power over or power under, whatever, you know, wherever we want to place right. power. And because some, I mean, look, there's a lot of people I follow and talk to, they really want to change the world and they want to change it in ways that I do not want to see it be changed. You know, right. we are having a right. very robust conversation societally and sometimes interpersonally mm-hmm. about the kind of world we want to live in um, right. and, and what the future is going to bring. And that also just gets so... I, I, I mean, conflict is just unavoidable in these, mm-hmm. in these kinds of situations, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And conflict's not necessarily a bad thing. I, mm-hmm. I once had the extraordinary privilege of getting to sit with John Lewis for about 40 minutes for a one-on-one conversation. And one of the things he said to me that is kind of etched into my eardrums, he said, you know, Dr. King used to say to me, and already all the little hairs on my arms are standing up. He said, Dr. King used to say to me, sometimes you have to turn the world upside down in order to set it right. Conflict is often necessary on the way to justice. I think that's right, right? So conflict, I, I, as a guy who has a master's degree in peace studies, <laughs> I, I think it's really important to say that peace is not placidity, right? Peace is not... Um, the lack of conflict is not what peace means. And I'm not really interested in the noun peace anyway. I'm interested in what I need to be, how I need to approach my life, what I need yeah. to be doing. So peacemaking is a more interesting word. And peacemaking for me is approaching conflict in ways that are constructive rather than destructive. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, one of the things that I can't remember now if we chat about this just before we started the live stream um, and recording or since we started talking. Um, but you said something about this hero narrative and, Mm -hmm. um, I've been thinking a lot about that, that we have this pattern Mm -hmm. in our society that we have heroes, villains, and victims. Mm -hmm. And then you're always going to find the way that you're either the hero or the victim 
but rarely the villain. And it's easy mm -hmm. to take somebody else and make them a villain. And the world becomes quite yep. simple. And then you have this epic battle that I guess fits into some base storyline because we sure love those stories. We sure we love those stories. stories. Yeah. But, the, yeah. but it's not accurate. Like it, we, we need a nut, we need an alternative to the hero villain victim narrative. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which you know, we can, we can talk about. Is, is that something you were getting after too? When you, when you mentioned. Yeah. The, so the, the basic, Kind of, it really is the heart of the book. I'm looking at um, the hero narrative of change as opposed to a movement narrative of change. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's ubiquitous and I think it's mm -hmm. wrong, frankly. Um, I don't, I can't find any example in all of history where a hero has effected a large scale change in the absence of a movement. Just can't find one. But it's the story we tell. If you drive to the nearest movie theater where there's 15 movies on the marquee and you check and see how many of them have a hero narrative as the, the heart of it, and I'll define, I'll give you my definition of a hero narrative. I think you'd find that it's most of the movies, right? And not just the yeah. superhero movies, but the children's entertainment, the historical movies, etc. All tend to say, or very often tend to say, that there's somebody extraordinary they're special in some way they're extraordinarily courageous or smart or strong or whatever not necessarily a superhero but somebody special different from you extraordinary and that person does something dramatic in a moment of crisis and then things change and then you roll the credits and that's how we tell <laughs> history even though it's not how history happened yeah the problem is that this then sets up a syllogism, an unconscious syllogism, I think most of the time that says heroes change things. I'm not a hero. Therefore, I don't change things. Right. Yep. So the question is like, what am I supposed to do? I'm not Gandhi. Right. Yep. And that's just rooted deeply in the hero narrative. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we strip away um a story like the rosa parks story we strip away the fact that she was a an activist for decades before she was arrested on that day in december 1st yeah. 1955 for most of us rosa parks life was one day long yes right yeah one one bus but trip long. Is, yeah right <laughs> she was an activist for years before and after that day <clears throat> and we don't tell the story of the women's political council in in montgomery this group of hundreds of African-American women who had organized the bus boycott a year before the boycott was called. Yeah. Joanne Robinson was the head of the Women's Political Council the night Rosa Parks was arrested. She was a, a professor at Alabama State, uh, which was then a black school. And she called two of her English students from her class the next morning and said, meet me at the school at midnight. From midnight to 4 a.m., they made copies of a three up flyer calling for a one day boycott on Monday. This is Thursday night and they cut them into strips, right? So from midnight to 4 a.m. They're making copies on an old school mimeograph. Mm -hmm. They're cutting them from 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. They're delivering them to the neighborhood captains for the Women's Political Council, which covered the entire black part of Montgomery. And then at 7 a.m., those women are delivering them to their neighborhoods. So every house and every business has this little strip flyer calling for the boycott on Monday morning, 14 hours after Rosa Parks is arrested without the benefit of modern communication technology, except for telephones that had landlines attached to walls, right? So no one has heard 
Joanne Robinson's name. No one has heard of the Women's Political Council. Let me say again, Joanne Robinson called the Montgomery bus boycott and nobody knows her name. Wow. We do not tell movement stories. We strike away the movement yeah, part. Yeah. Because you know what your job is in the hero narrative if you're not the hero? Your job is to clap. Wow. And that's awesome. I love that job. Yeah. Give yeah. me that give me that assignment, please. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not right. how it happens. That's movement narratives it. tells yeah. you something different entirely, right? Figure out what you care about. Get with other people who care about that thing. Figure out what your asset inventory is. What do y'all bring together? Figure out an achievable goal with a small timeline of weeks, right? And work toward that and and set your next meeting and figure out who's going to do what. Yeah. Man, I hate to say this, Doug. This is a hard thing for people to hear. But you know what changes the world? Committees change the world. Yeah, yeah. See, that's... <laughs> that is... See that's that's on to something yeah it's that it's that work and and if you think that's not how it happened you just don't know what was going on in between the meetings you know right it, it's you, just, you you, it's just the fact. you haven't heard the rest of the story honestly yeah in fact the rosa park story is so instructive because there's a lot of conservatives in fact who will try to use the fact that there was a whole movement afoot to say oh she was just a plant i mean they, right. They're, they're right. like, she wasn't a hero. She actually knew what she was doing when she got on this bus. She didn't move on purpose. This was all choreographed and planned, right? Their, mm -hmm. their idea is this isn't valid because it wasn't a hero narrative. It wasn't one person rising above the ashes and stepping out Precisely. and then being called because we found out that there was this whole thing going. Like there's some people like you who hear the backstory and say, oh, that's how you do it. And other people mm -hmm. hear the backstory and think, Oh yeah, just a big con job, you know, just hmm. a just hmm. a, a front. That, yeah, and 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 this is this is a real this is a real issue. It, it, look, it, as two people that are also embedded inside the Christian faith, Christianity suffers from this story so very much, right? right. Like the right. level to which we've taken the, the story of Jesus and just converted it into a modern day hero story, and yep. we've allowed people to use sort of the the, the mythical narratives of 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 hero narratives to, mm -hmm. to, to, to capture it as well. And then act like yeah. that's, that's what it is. And what we should do is get together on Sundays or some other day and clap. <laughs> right. In, uh, in the vernacular of the church, like, praise and worship. Right. And that's all there is just praise and worship. And you stop totally. there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think this totally. is the fundamental divide in Christendom actually, Doug. I like, mm -hmm. I think more than Protestant, uh, uh, Catholic, that thing, um, right. more than conservative, liberal. I think hero movement is the fundamental divide wow. in how folks look mm. at the, the Jesus story. Because on the one hand, the hero story says, Jesus died for me, took care of everything. Yeah. I outsourced the change to Jesus. And now my job is to praise and worship and I'm done. And on the other hand, there's a narrative that says, Jesus came to invite me yeah. into a whole new way of being in the world. It's really countercultural and challenging to the systems of power that are established and asked me to join him and live like him and actually walk in the way. Right. Yeah. And that's a really different story of Christianity. Yeah. So it, it, it bears some, uh, some examination, I think. 
It sure does. Uh, and I'm glad you're doing it. And this this book is one people should look at. I've got a couple of things I do want to uh, chat with you about. Uh, you Are Changing the World, Whether You Like It or Not, is the name of the book. It's now out. You can buy it. You should buy it. Share it around. Tell people about it. But when you look up David Lamont, you're not only going to hear uh, author, you're going to hear uh, musician, speaker, and author. All right. So can we talk about the musician side of this uh, of this this thing for a bit? I love that side. Sure. <laughs> um, we both have a guitar hanging over our left shoulders. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm a beginner. All right. I started playing guitar 19 months ago, uh, and right have no, had no experience at all. You, on the other hand, I have watched with a guitar in your hand, do things that made me truly believe the hero narrative. And say, <laughs> okay, there just are special people in the world, and they have special tools that they use, and a guitar is one of those. So I actually had a whole long story in my life that was basically built on this, that there was certain capacities certain people have. Because I do think people have certain capacities and abilities that make them interesting and interested in things and able to do things. Um, yeah, we have predispositions for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm probably not gonna ever be an NFL linebacker. It's just not my gift, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm six foot seven, so people often ask me to grab things from the tall shelf or help mm -hmm. them put their bag on an airplane. Right. Glad to do yeah. it. It just comes with the body, with the body type. You know, <laughs> uh, not really a hero, just a thing, just a yeah. thing you do. Um, uh, all right. Uh, can we talk about music? I, I don't think I know your musical background, but when you said hey, you had a dream of being a folk singer, mm -hmm. um, uh, that tells me it probably started at a young age. Like what's, what's your musical background? And then we'll talk about this video that you, that you currently have out. And yeah. So in, the world. in my, uh, in my family, there's three siblings that come in a nice neat group and then there's a big gap and then oops, there's me. And so in my family, they call me group two and uh, <laughs> all by myself. And so um, I grew up listening to my older siblings music and loving it, frankly. Right. And it was the seventies folk pop revival. And my sisters were listening to Don McLean and, and Carol King and, you know, really great songwriters like that, whose songs moved me, you know, even as a kid, I was, I, I like words. I was listening mm. and um, I, remember being deeply moved by this music when something like that when you encounter something like that i think it's pretty natural to think gosh i'd love to do that mm -hmm. the barrier is not um do i want to do it the barrier is would that yeah. be possible and mm -hmm. you know no chance is most of our response including mine um and there were some stories i could tell you there long stories, but there's some stories I could tell you about moments in my life that revealed to me that, Hey, maybe this might be possible. But, um, I was listening to my brother's Southern rock. I was listening to my sister's folk pop stuff. All that stuff went way deep inside me. And, um, I, I started playing violin as a really little kid, six or seven, did that for a couple of years and, um, gave it up. And, and then when I was about 14, found an old guitar that had been serially neglected by each of my siblings, um, in a closet and strings were like this far from the fretboard. But I, I messed with it enough that my parents thought, you know, you should get him an actual guitar. So okay. for Christmas that year, um, mom and dad went to a music store and with a friend who played guitar and picked out a Yamaha that, um, is here in this room that I, I really? still play um 40 years later 
So I, I'm a beginner too. I've been a beginner for 40 years and, and guitar goes on forever. And there's so much that I can't do, but it is a beautiful place for me to put my heart. I, I, I love having guitars around. They are such good friends. They're always in the same mood you're in. They never argue about where to stop for lunch. Um, they're just, they're awesome <laughs> travel, travel companions. And of course, I mean, more seriously, music does have a capacity to get right at people's spirits through their hearts. And, and you can say things in a song that mm -hmm. you can't just say in a conversation and people can hear it differently. It, it does. You do get a get out of jail free card somehow as a musician totally. to, to engage line. about things that are real and, and honest and true. Right. And that's, such a privilege it's such an honor to get to to have people give you their attention in that way yeah i, I was i've been a pastor for a long time and used for 25 years in a, in a church congregation and we made all of our own music there we had in-house musicians that made everything mm -hmm. one of the things i realized in that context that i just know is true about music overall is you can you can repeat lyrics from a song and sing along with it over and over and over and it's actually a good thing if you start <laughs> repeating the things said by someone mm -hmm. like you're walking around and quoting uh, any quote i don't care you know if, yeah. even if it's one that's on a wall that's quote in the world you're, right yep. you're like hey what kind of cult are you in that you're quoting exactly. you know yeah. but but no you're like oh no it's a song lyric and you're like oh, oh that's pretty cool yeah. then right like because i right. don't know i don't know why i don't i'm not speculating on why music is so magical but it just does allow us um a thing what what when did you think this is what i want to do though like between age 14 and maybe i'm getting good at this and 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 I'm, yeah. it's it's got a thing for me are you 19 are you tw 20 something when you're like i'm in hey, college people make a living <laughs> out yeah. of this and yeah. how many people in your life are like no david people don't make a living doing this right. people do right, this right, right, and then they do other right. things yeah. to make a living like where where how did that all come together yeah yeah, there were um, there were two particular moments I can point to. Of course, like the theory of change, there were actually a thousand moments, many of which I don't remember. But Great. there are a couple that I remember in particular. I was in college and um, I, I lived in this suite, this uh, little apartment with four guys. And the, the great luxury of it was that we each had a little shoebox private room. It was pretty awesome to be able to close a door for an introvert in an extroverted world. And so um, I lived with a guy who was what you might call a, a compulsive host. And Chris couldn't help but have really huge parties in our little tiny apartment. He just couldn't stop himself. And so, and he was just that guy that he would invite 10 people and 200 would come. Like it's, everybody wanted to come because he was just a gregarious, delightful man. And, um, and so that happened one night. And there's this huge party going on in my apartment. I'm overwhelmed. I go back in my room and close the door. I'm playing my guitar. And the one girl I had invited to the party because I had kind of a crush on her shows up with two other friends in, to defend herself because she knew that I had a crush on her. So the three of them show up at the party and they're looking for me and they can't find me anywhere. They ask Chris, where's Dave? And, and Chris says, oh, he's back in his room, but he's not going to hear you if you knock. It's too loud. So just go on in. <laughs> so he invites oh, wow. them into my room and I'm sitting on my bed playing my guitar and they predictably say, I didn't know you play guitar. And I said, Arr, Arr, Arr. and, and they said, play us a song. And I said, Arr, Arr, Arr. and then they said, 
play us a song. And so I played them this tender song that I'd written when I was 15, goodbye song. I actually wrote it for my youth group when my family moved to say goodbye to these people I loved very much. And um, I played them this song and I look up at the end of the song and all three of them have tears on their faces. Come on. And I thought, oh, it was worse than I feared. Like I actually made them cry. It was that bad. But actually <laughs> they had been touched by the song. And I thought, wow, maybe these songs could mean something to somebody besides me. Hmm. And so that really gave me the courage to, um, to start playing some open mics and some $2 Tuesdays at the local cafe and things like that. And, and the shape of my career, honestly, has been a really long, slow, steady slope. It hasn't had a lot of spikes in it. I never, you know, popped onto national TV. Um, but I've, I've, I really treasure the relationship that I have with folks who give me the extraordinary gift of their attention. So I try to stay in touch. And over the years, that's become a, a sustainable huh. group of people who care about what I do and keep me going. Hmm. All right. I, I normally don't ask this, but I will. What's your advice to a, a new, a new, uh, a new guitar player? Do you have yeah. any? Okay. Um, okay. I'm going to say something super trite, but it's please true. Be beginners love trite to beginners of anything. Tri trite is not yeah. trite. They're like, Oh my gosh, that's unbelievable. <laughs> Number one, uh, keep it real. Like, uh, follow mm. your heart, right? Like mm. don't, don't do stuff that doesn't feel right to you. Don't worry too much about giving people what they want. Um, try to give them what's real, you know, mm. be honest about what's happening in your heart. I don't mean be literal. I don't mean be historical. You can play with it. It's fiction, but try to say things that, that are honest in your music. Right. Um, I think that's one thing. Um, another thing is I would say, uh, it's a long road. The main thing that you need to be good mm. at anything is a willingness to be bad at it long enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? So hang in there. It 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 happens really gradually and it's it's really a joy when you find that you've you know something that you didn't know three months ago. It's pretty cool. You can do something you couldn't do before. You don't yeah. notice it daily, but over time you do. Um I guess I'd great start advice. There. It's great advice. Yeah, and it's true. Being willing to be bad at something is sort of the key. And maybe that's why starting as a child or as a kid is easier because, I don't know, the expectations on oneself for a lot of us weren't as heightened or we didn't think, we weren't yeah. testing everything for its for its viability. You know? Yeah. I don't the, know. Like, the, I think the lucky about, kids anyway, yeah. Yeah, the things you do. Yeah, 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 right, right, right. The, the, the things that, that we do. I have a friend who doesn't know anything about guitar but he said his uh he used to be a an esl instructor mm -hmm. and he said that the thing is that when you're learning a new language you talk like a toddler for a really right. long time and we let right. toddlers do that for a really long time that's right that's <laughs> and, right and we, and i actually recommend when people are working on a language that they find a toddler to hang out with because <laughs> it's it's great they're so patient yeah. they're used to repeating themselves 10 times before you understand and their, their vocabulary is limited, so you can start with the basics. It's great. <laughs> That's freaking genius. Okay, uh, let's let's talk about this this uh, music video that just before we started, you mentioned yeah. to me that this is here and, and I want to play it. Um, because music is powerful, um, 
and you have the ability to sit in front of people and produce it live. That that's a rare skill that is so important. And a lot of us have realized post COVID how important that is to many mm-hmm. of our souls to sit with mm-hmm. people who make music right now in front of us, like the magic mm-hmm. trick happens mm-hmm. right there, yeah. you know, and yeah, there's something we, holy about it that I don't understand and I want more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's insatiable, uh, that, that, that the taste for that. And there's also most of the music that any of us have ever heard and has changed our lives is not that it's something that was recorded and it just came in our ears or we're watching Mm -hmm. on, on screen. So we live in this world where there's, you know, the, the recording piece. And so I think it's great that you do that. You have albums out. People should know that they should find your music. You also have this music video, uh, which is one of the important communication tools for, for important Mm -hmm. ideas. But can you talk about this, this particular video and then we'll let people even enjoy it. Yeah, so um, the song is called Look Away, and it's on my most recent record. And it it came from an idea that I, I'm actually, I don't know how I feel about the fact that I was well into my adulthood before it occurred to me. I, I'm a lifelong Southerner. I've lived in, in the South my whole life. Both sides of my family go way back in the, in the South and sometimes in the Deep South. And I... Um, have heard the song Dixie many, many times in my life, the unofficial anthem of the South. And I can't believe that I got well into my adulthood before it occurred to me that the song Dixie says the quiet part out loud. Yeah. Over and over and over again. When you're singing that song, you say, look away, look away, yeah, look away. And that's precisely what we've been doing for hundreds of years, mm. looking at, looking away from the part we don't want to talk about, right? The, the part that's really difficult in our history mm. and the part that we're not proud of, right? So I, I had that idea and I thought, wow, okay, I need to do something with that because that's really powerful. I need to lift that up. And, um, and I wrote this song that's on the new album uh, just in the last couple of years, uh, called Look Away. And it's really trying to speak into the national conversation about race and racism um, from my own particular location, right? It's not for me to tell other people's stories in terms of uh, their personal experiences of race and racism. I'm a straight white guy, mm. um, middle-aged with a degree and a couple of them and, and a U.S. passport and a fairly neutral accent, right? I've got all these things and I'm cisgendered and um, able-bodied in most ways. And um, you know, it's a long, long list of ways that there are things that I don't have to think about that people I love do and, uh, and ways that the the playing field's a little tilted toward me. Mm. And that doesn't make me a bad person or a good person, but it does mean that it's harder to see some things. It's harder to Mm. see things from the middle it's easier to see from the edge. So I need to be a really good listener in that way. But at any rate, I also feel like I need to be honest about my own story. And when I look at the generational stories of my families on both sides, there are things that I'm really not proud of. And I want to name that, but I also want to say, I, I don't want to buy into the wholesale dismissal of the South which is really problematic. I love the South. I grew up here. Most of my favorite people, <laughs> many of my favorite people are from here. And there's so much that I love about it. I love a good long story, right? I love 
how people take time. There is something to the thing about Southern hospitality that is not always extended to everybody, but it is a powerful thing that does happen. Um, so I wanted to sort of say there are many ways to be a Southerner and it troubles me how so often being a Southerner and celebrating that is conflated with support for the Confederate cause. Yeah. Cause those are different things. And so I wanted to say in this song, there are other ways to be a white Southerner in particular. I mean, not even go into the fact that there are many ways to be a Southerner that don't include being white. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. To start with, but from my own story, I am troubled by that meshing of ideas mm. that don't necessarily go together. Mm. So the song is owning my own history and also saying, um, this is, I, I may not be exactly who you assume I am. Mm. Right. Um, so, uh, that was an important song for me to write. And I wrote it in the Southern rock idiom, which I love. I love Southern rock. And I wrote it that way on purpose because you don't often hear the things that I'm saying in that song said with that musical context. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to own both because I come honestly by the Southern rock sound, right? Um, that's part of my childhood, part of my, my music career. Heck, I had Ed King from Leonard Skinner play. Uh, my album was one of the last albums he played on, not this album, the one before it, uh, before he died. And, um, yeah. and I played with Artemis Pyle live from Leonard Skinner as well. I've got, I've got, fairly serious Southern rock cred to, to lean yeah, back on. Give me three on. steps if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so um, I played on stage with Warren Haynes, you know, I, hmm. at any rate, I've, I've got the cred for that stuff. And I wanted to say, and it's not monolithic. Right. Yeah. Um, well, and, so, and music is the way that these cultures that are, that are various cultures in any country, especially the United States move around. It's, it, right. it is the way it's, it's, I mean, I, I grew up in Minneapolis and we sang Dixie in like yeah. sixth grade or fourth grade choir. I'm like, what on earth? Right. Right. What were we doing? Um, Isn't that amazing? Know, just, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, classic rock music and blues music and, and, and all of it, it's, there's, there is a competition of music to carry the stories that we want to live in the world because, and music is really deeply connected to this, this whole change idea, especially around how do we envision the world and the world that we should live in? Because that's one yeah. of the things that the music, whether it's lyrically driven music or, or other music is really doing is it's spurring something, something else. Can you say something about how you wrote this song? I, I'm, I'm internally fascinated by the ability of people or how they do it, what actually goes on. Do you remember what happened with the, writing this yeah song. well i um especially since the pandemic but uh, serendipitously four months before the pandemic started i i launched a patreon page and one of the things i promised my patreon people is a new song every month before patreon i was like a three or four song a year guy and happy with that year now i've written 40 songs in the last 40 months so i am often on the last day of the month at about 10 p.m furiously writing a song <laughs> and and it has been so good for me to just keep steady on that um Great. that kind of accountability has been such a gift so this song i was literally figuring out what am i going to write this month you know and um 
you know, we've been in this dialogue for a few years now in a larger way. I think you and I have probably been in it longer than that, but it's, um, it's been a big national conversation for the last few yeah. years. And, um, and I wanted to speak honestly into that space. So I had this kernel of an idea about look away and, and saying, I don't want to look away from history anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the fundamental markers of maturity is being able to talk about hard things. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's pretty wild that it's now literally illegal to teach history in public schools in several States in the South, because mm -hmm. you can't teach history that makes people uncomfortable. And that just means you can't teach Bonkers. history as part of it right. is uncomfortable. Right. So, um, yeah, so I, I was wrestling with that and I thought what I really need to do is tell my own very personal story. And so the song starts off, my grandfather's own grandfather walked home from the civil war from Virginia to Columbia SC. That's the first line in the song. So we jump right in. <laughs> right. All right. Um, so let me just deep dive on this. Did you yeah. write that line first? Did you, was that the, the story in your head? And you're like, that's, that's the yeah. framing narrative that I'm working with. And I almost spent too much I time think on I you deconstructing the beauty of it. But yeah, I think I might have written this song in a fairly linear fashion. I think I yeah. I started at the beginning and kind of moved on through. I'll often write the chorus yeah. for a song and then figure out the verses. Or I'll write the first verse in the chorus and then figure out the other verses. And I that might have been how this one went. Okay. Um and the and the and the bridge and such. And you do that um, did you do it in a in a in a notebook? Did you do it uh where you're typing it in your phone or your computer? How yeah. did you physically where what were you doing when you're I write on paper for the first draft and then, and the first draft is around here somewhere. Um, but I write on paper, I scratch some things out, I scribble a little bit, and then I move it to the computer to edit. Um, I, I find So when you say, I'm going to write a song, like mm -hmm. you sit down and you get a piece of paper, which you got to find somewhere yeah. in your house, right? Yeah. And like yeah. you intentionally are like, now I'm doing that thing. Because I think this is actually helpful exactly. for people to figure out art and beauty and change and everything can seem so amorphous. Like it just kind of happens right. and the muse, and I, yeah. I get it. Magical and mysterious. Up. Yeah. But also you, when you just start, start looking into it like, well, what did you do at 10 14? You're like, Oh, that's when I was sitting down and I had a pen in my hand. Oh, right. you do that. I, anyway, right. I find that to be I, so the, the human yeah, drama I mean, of how we make stuff is just mm -hmm. wonderfully fascinating. Yeah. And if we want to talk about, the, the craft of that. I mean, the thing that I've really leaned into in the last few years that's been super wonderful for me is a trick that my friend Jonathan Bird taught me. He made a little video that I watched. And um, he's a brilliant songwriter in North Carolina and over toward the middle of the state. And Jonathan um, made a video saying, look, if you need to write a song and you're stuck, here's what you do. Pick a song that you love, put the lyric down the left side of the, of the page, write new lyrics to that song line for line across the page and then um, discard the melody, write new music for that lyric that you've written. And now you have a new song that's totally yours, right? You didn't take the melody or the lyric. It's all yours. Great. You know, let's lean into our mentors. Let's lean into what we can see totally. that is good in the world and say, okay, how would I do something kind of like that? Right? Nothing, no shame in that. Um, be inspired by other people who inspire you. Great. Um, so I've, I've done that several times in the last few, last year in particular, I think I hmm. saw that video maybe a, almost a year ago. Um, so that's one little tool I'll give you uh, in it. terms of songwriting. Love it. Um, 
And especially if the song has a really interesting structure. I've done that a couple times with Weepies songs. Uh, the Weepies write really fascinating structures in their songs. That's and a band, the Weepies? That's a band, the Weepies. Okay. They're really, really good, brilliant stuff. I think they actually are no longer together. But um, uh, yeah, Deb Talon and Steve Tannen are the okay. writers. And they're both brilliant writers. And together they did a really interesting thing, made several great records. Fantastic. All right. So here we go. Uh, are you ready for it? Uh, some people are only going to hear hear the song. Do we need to say anything? Oh, yeah, we do have a little context. To set well, I do want to say one thing about the video, which is mm -hmm. that I made it with Hannah Garrity, who's a brilliant um, artist in many media who lives in Richmond, Virginia. And Hannah also has a, a, a story that kind of mirrors mine in terms of family history and wants to wants to bring that to the conversation in a healthy way. And uh, we really went even farther with the visuals than I did in the song in terms of playing into some tropes, some visual tropes of, of that Southern context in music and then problematizing that a little bit. Mm. And, and the images in the song are uh, coming fast and the, the entire video um, is dissolving almost entirely the whole time you have three different images on the screen and one is coming to the foreground while another is receding. Oh, so okay. it gives you this somewhat disoriented sense that is appropriate for this conversation because some stories are coming to the fore and others are falling back in ways that can be disorienting. Um, so it was just a joy to work with Hannah on this wow. project. And so fun. And, and, and this sits in a context of a larger cultural conversation about country music there my neighbor across the street said hey what do you think about and then he named this he said that what do you think about this controversy on the small town song and right right totally unfamiliar i don't follow enough yeah uh, mm -hmm. conservative it's right -wing a big story stuff right now. to know yeah. who's upset about things um but this person uh wrote a song basically saying the kinds of things um that have happened in the rest of the country won't happen in a small town my, my take is from what I've read about it now, since, you know, my neighbor right. brought it up to me is try that in a small town. It's not going to happen because around here we got right. it figured out. And it sounds like to a lot of people that it's kind of a, a you know, a cultural argument that's based on, on race and kind of a segregated narrative yeah. about. Yeah. Small and towns it is a threat of violence. It also starts with the line, you know, my granddad gave me this gun. Um, so try that in a small town. And, and, and part of what I'm trying to say is, you know what? I'm a Southerner who lives in a small town, about 9,000 people. Um, there are a lot of different ways to live in a Southern small town and a lot of different things that can mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Thanks for the video. We'll talk after, after it, if, if you're good with that. So it's, it's like four minutes long, right? But people get a little musical, yep. which mm -hmm. honestly, David, is one of the things we want to do on this podcast all along is always have some music with it and we don't do it. So the fact that we're doing it now, it's just, it's just so right in so many ways. All right. So here right it is. it's called, uh, it's called look away David Lamont. Father's own grandfather walked home from the Civil War From Virginia to Columbia, S.C. I don't know what made him join up I don't know what he believed But his legacy has passed right down to me 
Way down south in the land of cotton Stories here are not forgotten Except when we prefer to look away Rules were written to advantage So the playing field was slanted And that's how it is still working to this day Look away, look away I can't look away from history anymore You can claim all is forgiven You can tie a yellow ribbon But that old oak tree is rotten at the core Now the monuments to generals are all covered up in canvas And some people say that's history they're high But those statues tell a story that I cannot celebrate Treating people like those horses they are riding I must listen to my sisters if I want to understand Though the story is a painful one to hear If there's any hope of healing, they'll be hurting on the way I think maybe we should start right now and heal Look away, look away I can't look away from history anymore You can claim all is forgiven You can tie a yellow ribbon But that old oak tree is rotten at the core I still love a good long story, I still love a cold sweet tea I still love the people, black and white, who raised and nourished me But my people told the story, and that story was a lie And if we're ever gonna heal this, we gotta look it in the eye Man, that is great. <clears throat> it's the first time I've seen it. Uh, tremendous, tremendous song. How does it you. feel to watch it, knowing other people are watching it now? Like, how is it striking you? I'm really proud of it, Doug. Honestly, we worked on it for a really long time, and and there's a there's a ton of layers in there. There's a lot of subtlety um, in terms of the images that we were using and the the background things that go by softly. Um, in the background are, are uh, significant. So we actually made a website just for the song. It, it kind of grew up and moved out, got its own place. Um, so there's a website, lookawayproject.com, that actually um, annotates with time codes. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at this image in this particular part of the video, this is what you're seeing, and this is why it's there. Um, wow. So it was really, it was a big project for us, and I'm really... Yeah. 
glad to have it out in the world finally we worked on it for about a year great well we, we will certainly share it share it widely um i was doing two things uh struck by some of the lyrics that i want to ask you about and then also watching some chord changes and thinking about the guitar mm -hmm. that you're playing in the video versus the guitar over your shoulder and doing nerdy guitar yeah. stuff uh, which is also super fun uh, when you start yes. to awaken to a new capacity you just start seeing things you didn't you didn't see before so let me ask you about the guitar what's the one over your shoulder uh so that one's a 912c it's a taylor i mostly play taylors i've got yeah. one takamini and a handful of taylors um it was and, a different uh, taylor though in that in the video different taylor in the video yeah yeah, yeah. um that one's a, a 14 it's a k14 i believe um i so i I've yeah, got a couple, which is a, which is a Koa, Koa 14, right? Yeah. I saw that's it when, right. when you turn to that last seat, this is what some people do. Oh, look, yeah. look at the side on that thing. I think that's a Koa, like just yeah. so nerdy, just fantastic. Right. With a cedar top. The, that's the one I played in the studio. I'm sure. Um, of course in a video you're sinking the whole yeah. thing, but it's, um, uh, it, it might be my other 14. Um, it's a nine fourteen that's in the, uh, in the video that's, it's uh, rosewood and spruce, but yeah, we could nerd out about guitar right, stuff. Yeah, totally. Sorry about that for people that are caring about it. So <laughs> Alex, right. uh, so Alex uh, puts in the comment uh, the line: "The old oak tree is rotten to the core." Great line. And the line before it is: "You can say all." I had to write it down. You can say all is forgiven. Tie the yellow ribbon, but the old oak tree is rotten to the core, which is a great callback to tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, right? Lots, lots. I'm, I'm playing a lot in the song with nostalgia. Come on, right? what it, yeah. how is nostalgia harnessed in the service of productive things and toxic things? Right. Tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak. You can tie a yellow ribbon, but the old oak tree is rotten to the core. Is you know, it's it's that's that is a lyrical uh, masterpiece right there. That's that's Thank really you. that's Thank really you. great. Um, uh okay so a couple of other uh peggy uh i'll just tell you what pe people are saying peggy says great song i was just having a conversation with my brother about whitewashing slavery and uh dana or dana watson says uh, wow native richmond are here uh touching uh to see uh some of those infamous monuments presented in a more honest and nuanced way um yeah really uh i mean a great uh the, the, this is what music does, right? We've been talking for an hour, hardly any comments. You play a four minute video and people are like, <laughs> I, am, I get it. I mean, it's just the, it's, it's, it's the magic of all the ways that people communicate and all the things that we do. And it, it all matters, right? It's not like, yeah, we can't just sit around and play videos all day. Uh, um, we also have to, yeah. you know, work like this. <laughs> yeah. There, there are different parts of my life as well as different parts of my career. Yeah. It's interesting. People always ask me to come and do a thing where I, you know, integrate music into my talk. And the couple times I've tried to do that, it's just a train wreck because hmm. in the, in, when I'm doing a speaking thing, I'm stacking ideas on top of each other. And we need to think about this carefully. And if we accept that, then what does it mean for this? And, and that's a, one kind of way to be with people. And music is like to stop in the middle of that and say, and now I'm going to play a song. It's just weird. It kind of doesn't work. Wow. And I love doing a concert and in a concert, I'll talk a fair amount, tell some stories, yeah. but they are really different halves of my head, you know? Mm. Yeah. They have different places for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, th and I, I think that's true for all of us. And, and mm. I, it's, it's curious. Yeah. 
Yeah. David, this has sure been great. Congratulations on the book, on the video, on. Thank you, brother. Yeah. You being and thank you. you for the work you're doing in the world and, and the light you're shining. I'm, I'm a fan and um, occasional contributor, as you know. And, wow. And, yeah. And, it's really and, a big um, deal for us. Yeah. I, thank I, you. I believe in what you're doing and I'm Thanks. grateful for it. So. Well, we're going to be out doing it again. And anytime we can uh, uh, cross our streams in a Ghostbusters-like <laughs> way, I think we, yeah, uh, yeah. I think we right should on. do that. Awesome. That'd be just beautiful. All right. Thank you. And thanks. Uh, we just always kind of give a, a rundown. Alex and Dana or Dana and Deanne and uh, Jim and all the others that were, that were commenting today. Thanks for your, thanks for your comments. Share, share video widely. And uh, you can go to davidlamott.com. That's right? the one. Com. That's right. Mm -hmm. davidlamott.com. Find all this stuff, music and books and uh, speaking. And if he's someone you want to have in, his, in your world, but you can find a way to work that out. There's right, a well, mailing you, list and everything. Yep. Oh, Thanks, mailing brother. List and, everything. and a Patreon. And a, and and a Patreon. Patreon. So if you've never tried really Patreon. really changed my life. It's a beautiful thing. And it changed your life because people can contribute. Find, Patreon, for people that don't know, is a way that people often make a financial contribution, sometimes just small amounts. Like I've got a couple of patron. I'm a pa patron for people. And it's like $5 a month or $15 a month right. kind of kind right. of thing. Um, right. And then they make special content or sometimes don't. They just they yeah. share it with everybody. Sometimes I do. I send out a song dollars. every Monday. I record a new song every month. Not a new song, but I record a song every Monday and send that out to people. And then I write a new song every month. So it's a joy. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, you're gonna you're about to pick up a patron, at least one. Uh, all right. And if everybody else wants to go, you can find that over at davidlamott.com. Is that right? You'll find it. They'll, they'll sure find enough. it. Page yeah. there. All right. Thank you, buddy. Congratulations on the book. And we'll Thanks, talk to you Doug. soon. Appreciate you. Right, bye, bye. Hey, we'll see you later.